You are listening to Open Democracy. Every week, a journalist is killed just for doing their job. In eight out of ten cases, there's no justice. And that matters to all of us because this culture of impunity weakens our democracies. I'm Penny Dale, and this time in Killing the Truth, The Gambia and the Death and Life of Dada Hydera. He was very kind, very caring, and also very courageous. My name is Demba Jao. I am a journalist. In 1979, I wrote an article. It was something critical of the police. I was arrested and detained. Then he was the vice president of the Gambia Press Union. Very few people actually had the courage to come and visit me, but he was all the time coming to visit me. That is actually how I became so close to him. My name is Pap Sen. Deida Isara was my childhood friend. Deida, he was a man very competent. He was a role model in the media, in the society. He was generous. Always he wanted to help the poorest. He wanted to always defend the voiceless. Pap and Deida both worked for decades for international news agencies. Pap for Reuters and Ada for AFP and Reporters Without Borders. In 1991, they decided it was time that The Gambia had its first independent newspaper. So together, they launched a tabloid. They called it The Point, in order to... Tell the readers whatever we say is clear, is direct to the point. (laughs) It's direct to the point. In 1994, a soldier called Yaya Jame seized power and thus began 22 years of a cruel and bloody dictatorship. President Jame vowed to rule for a billion years. He said he could cure AIDS with a herbal concoction and his government routinely violated human rights. Jame threatened to bury journalists six feet deep. During Jamie's time, it was very difficult to establish a newspaper. Why? He decided, Jamie, for all owners to sign a bond at the Minister of Justice, $10,000, to deposit their title this. And also, you don't have peace of mind to walk. Every morning when we wake up, we pray God to survive because any noise that we had that time, uh, we are panicked. There was self-censorship. Really, it was a big challenge during Jamie's time because your house could be burned, your media house could be burned, so your life was at risk. Many journalists that time went on exile. Many people abandoned the profession. 
The journalists who kept on working and kept on speaking out during Jamé's time were also constantly threatened. Denver again. Well, in most cases, um, it's uh, yeah, James Talks who were doing that. You know, he had this uh, youth group called the Green Boys. The Green Boys were called that because James' party political colours were green. In certain cases also, certain people who were working within the security forces will also do it. We all have received threats, you know. I knew that Leda had received a lot of threats as well. But he was a kind of person who, he was very brave and he was not deterred by such kind of threats. Dada refused to be silenced. And instead, he decided to do something that had not happened in Gambian journalism before. He spoke directly to Jame. Each week, in his column, Good morning, Mr. President. Here's Pap. There were a lot of things happening and maybe the president was not aware or people of his entourage were afraid to tell him the burning issues. So they took the courage, since he was the representative of the voiceless, to address issues which is very important to day-to-day life of uh, Gambians. And true to the name of his newspaper, Deda was very much to the point, says Demba. Deda, he definitely didn't pull his punches in telling the president what he wanted to tell him. He would, of course, put some fun in the column as well, but um, it was a very serious column and uh, making a lot of serious advice to the presidency. Knowing Yaya Jame, he was definitely not happy with it. He, he used to actually have uh, people call him up from the Said house telling him, Deda, that's too hot today. You can't do that. That's Dada's youngest son recalling how his father, after whom he was named, responded to the phone calls he received from Jame's inner circle. He said, I didn't insult him. I just wrote the truth. Where's the area where I directly attacked him? You know, so he, he had this savviness in the way he wrote things. He didn't do it for any political gain. He didn't do it for any sort of financial gain or any sort of publicity stunt. It was merely trying to make his government better, trying to take the Gambia forward rather than backwards. So very, very necessary, very, very important work. And my father knew the sort of risks and knew the sort of trajectory of their journalism and decided to stay on course and ultimately die for it. My name is Marie Haidara. I am daughter of slain Gambian journalist, Dada Haidrab. As a family, we talked about a lot of stuff. He was open, and if he thought he was taking decisions that would concern us, he would have to consult us, even his editorials, weekly ones. If he wrote something he thought was quite critical, he would, for instance, say, today's editorial is, this is the title, and I thought I'd say goodbye because you might not see me again. Anyone who's close to him know that he always says that he will be short and that the first bullet would have to go to his head. Otherwise, if he survives, he will write an editorial in his hospital bed. 
So those were the jokes he made. It's the 16th of December, 2004. 13 years earlier, the Point newspaper was born. The 16th of December, 2004, was also my mum's birthday. My mum was here with me in England. My dad was supposed to join her here just after the anniversary of the Point newspaper, as he wanted to be there for the anniversary. Plus, he's been challenging a new media bill. After pressure from journalists led by Dada, the government dropped a bill that would have seen a state media commission established with sweeping powers to shut down radio stations and publications and to jail reporters on the flimsiest of reasons. But two other changes to the law were pushed through. Journalists found guilty of sedition or libel would be sent to prison and newspaper owners had to buy expensive operating licences and put up their own homes as security. He's been in court all that week, and he's been on the phone with my mum about the court case that whole week. My mum had been telling him again, you have to stop now then, that you have lost the, the case in the courts. And he was saying no. Dada Jr. was in the Gambia on the 16th of December, 2004. He was 13 years old. He had spent the evening with friends at the family home, but then... I started getting this awful headache, so painful. I needed to lie down, so I just sort of slumped in the living room. The next thing I know was house phone just literally ringing, 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 and I was in deep sleep. I could hear it. I was thinking, is it a dream? Is it real? Anyway, eventually I woke up to it, and we had a big clock in the living room, and I saw the time, 12.50 exactly. I missed the phone call, so I got up, and I was thinking, where's Dad? So I walked to the garage to see if the car was there, and there was no car. So I was thinking, oh, OK, maybe because of the party. The party was to celebrate the Point newspaper founded by his father and Pat Sane. After having our reception for the 13th anniversary, I and Dada were supposed to go to the wedding of my younger brother. You know, with the family ties that I have with Dada, he was the one who was supposed to conduct the marriage. Pat was to go to the wedding in Dada's car. On the way, Dada would drop home a couple of colleagues. But at the last minute, Pat decided instead that he would go home to freshen up and he would meet Dada there. After two hours, we were waiting for him. I called him. The mobile was off. We continued the programme and with an order imam to do the uh, rites of the wedding ceremony. But Dada didn't turn up. In the UK, Marie was on a night shift at the hospital where she worked as a nurse. 
my phone was on my pocket and it vibrated and I took it out and I saw my dad's name, it said Pa calling. So I picked up expecting his voice, but then it was a, a woman's voice and I realized it was my auntie. So I knew something was wrong. I could hear my sister Nelly screaming in the background. So I said, um, I know my dad's dead because it's 6 a.m. And so if you're in my house this early in the morning and with my dad's phone, then means she's dead. It was difficult to get a flight out. And as Muslims, the cops is to be buried as soon as possible. So Elvis back home calling to ask my mom whether she wanted the body to be kept until we got there. But because we didn't know when we'll get the flight out, my mom agreed that they could bury him on the Friday. If we had seen him, probably, I know my pain would have been better. When we got to Gambia, names were already started to surface and uh, rumors were going around that these were the killers of my dad. My name is uh, Leonard Vincent. I'm a French journalist and writer. In 2004, I was the Africa director for Reporters Without Borders, the press freedom NGO based in Paris. And this is how I uh, met Deida, and I was uh, sent to uh, investigate his killing, first in December 2004 and in May 2005. There were eyewitnesses the two women being given a lift home by Dada. They were in hospital in Dakar, the capital of neighbouring Senegal. With the help of Papsain, they agreed to speak with me and uh, they described to me uh, pretty much the same thing. The car driven by Dada entering a small road, uh, a taxi behind them with no licence plates, they said that they, they thought that uh, the guys in the taxi were in a hurry for some reason. And he was pretty annoyed. So he slowed down and, and, and waved outside his window and made a sign that the taxi should pass by. And that's how he, he invited his killers to uh, approach him. Passing by on the left, one man coming out of the window with a gun and shooting several bullets on Data. Three of them hitting him, several others hitting the ladies uh, in the legs behind, and their car going slowly into the ditch uh, while the taxi with the killers fled the scene. For both medical and, and political reasons, they were flown to Dakar with the help of uh, Western embassies also to be put in security somewhere because their testimony was, of course, absolutely crucial. And yes, they were, even in Dakar, absolutely terrified. 
really terrified. I mean, all along this first uh, trip in, in the Gambia and, and Senegal, uh, I had never seen such a, a, a profound level of fear. Everybody in Data's family, among Data's friends and colleagues, they were all absolutely panicked because they were absolutely sure and there was no doubt in, the, in any of their mind that it was Yahya Jami's killers, the junglers who had killed Data. And they even gave me names. The junglers was an elite paramilitary death squad set up by the former president Jamé. Leonard was determined to find proof, and when he returned for a second trip to the Gambia six months after Deda's killing, he had a breakthrough. First of all, I met with an employee of the point who told me that he could testify that when Deda left the newspaper on that day with the two ladies in his car, he was being monitored and watched by several men in a four-wheel drive car outside the newspaper, and that, that car followed Data's car immediately after he left. And that, obviously, these guys uh, in the car, in the four-wheel drive, were NIA agents that had been spotted around the point for a few days before the killing. The NIA is the Gambia's National Intelligence Agency, which meant that... The authorities knew exactly where he was at all time and who he was with and especially maybe 15 to 20 minutes before he was killed. And the second thing is I went by the place where the junglers met. It was no secret. It was just by the presidency. And there was a, a car park there. What I was looking for was the famous car, the NIA car that was monitoring. And I found it. It was parked there. And the witness confirmed that it was exactly that car. And... In the same car park, I found a yellow taxi with unmarked plates. Both eyewitnesses to Data's murder talked of a man leaning out the window of an unmarked taxi and shooting Data. And yet Leonard's lead was not followed up by the NIA, which had taken over the police investigation. The NIA was the same organisation which had Data under surveillance on the night of his murder, so they should not have been involved in any investigation and it took them only 18 days to come up with what daughter Marie says is an absurd conclusion. It vilified the victim. It said he was maybe responsible for his own death because he attacked everybody. It character assassinated him. It said he had a girlfriend and probably girlfriend's partner must have killed him. Off the record, the story was very different. Pap Sain, Dada's childhood friend and his newspaper partner, was told that... Dada was killed for two reasons. One, for good morning, Mr. President, because every time he was pointing out certain weak point or lack of commitment to the public, the other aspect is about the legal battle between uh, the media owners and government about the media law. Security sources told me that Jamie he said, data, he should be eliminated. 
After his killing, the National Intelligence asked me to stop the column because they said they got instruction from President Jame not to continue the legacy of data, which I did. Pap felt he had no choice. But he did defy Jame by putting the photo of his friend on the front page of every edition of The Point with the question, who killed Dada Hyderah? At the end of 2016, Yaya Jame lost elections. And after a few weeks of refusing to accept defeat, in January 2017, he flew out to Equatorial Guinea. At last, the long, dark Jame era was over. Except the same harsh media laws that Dada had fought against remain in place. But what the Adam Barrow government did do was set up a Truth, Reconciliation and Reparations Commission to investigate the human rights abuses committed by Jame's government. In 2019, public hearings began. They were broadcast live, and day after day, chilling accounts of disappearances and extrajudicial killings shocked the people of the Gambia. In July 2019, a soldier, Malik Jatta, testified that he was part of the elite squad, the Jonglers, which had killed Dada Hydera. Let us get the full names. Yourself, Malik Jatta, Tumbultamba as commander, Ali Ujeng, Sanamanjang, correct? Yes, correct. This would be in 2004. Tell us about this mission. Tumbul, when we were driving, said, today we are going for the magic pen. The magic pen was a code name for Dada. When he was uh, just opposite to the vehicle, as he was trying to pass the vehicle, he shouted, gentlemen, the driver is the idiot. Idiot was how the jonglers referred to the people they were to assassinate. He was shouting, shoot, shoot, better shoot. When he shot, he never stopped. He drove through the streets. Humboldt was reporting directly to the president. Directly to the president? Directly to the president. He was responsible of giving the orders because I was at a point in time hearing him speak to my commander on phone. The following day was when he came to see us. He came with an envelope containing some dollars. And he said to us, this is a token of appreciation from the big man. Big man implies the president. Did you know for certain he was referring to the president? Very well. The envelope contained a thousand US dollars. Finally, the question, who killed Dada Hydera, was answered. My name is Nana Jundao. My father, Solndao, was forcibly disappeared in 2013 and killed allegedly under orders of Yaya Jame, the um, former president of the Gambia. 
my experience trying to find answers, trying to piece together what might have happened, led me eventually to launch the organization African Network Against Extrajudicial Killings and Enforced Disappearances because I just wanted people not to have their voices silenced, to live in fear, and not to go through what my family went through. I think it was very important for Gambia to have the Truth Commission, but our position is that the Truth Commission is just one mechanism in the transitional justice process. The Barrow government has until the end of May 2022 to publish a white paper setting out whether it will implement the Commission's recommendations, which are to investigate and prosecute perpetrators such as the Jonglers and former President Jammeh for the unlawful killing of at least 240 people, including Dada Hydera and Nana Joe's father. I was extremely and pleasantly surprised that this report was made public, and it's a great achievement. Now that it's been handed over to Bao, what we're expecting is criminal proceedings, having the perpetrators face justice. Some of these crimes date back to 25 years ago. It's just too long for the families, and now it's time to actually make sure that they get some sort of closure but also for Gambians to understand that actions have consequences and that Truth and Reconciliation and Reparation Commission is not really a free ticket to discharge yourself of your responsibilities and of not being made accountable. There's been truth, or at least some truth, but will there be justice? Some of the junglers have died. Others are still, mostly, at large. Some of the junglers had gone into exile with Yaya Jameh to Equatorial Guinea in 2017. And so there's video and social media showing them actually celebrating Adama Barrow winning the elections in December. So that made us obviously very nervous. And they came back voluntarily to the Gambia. And we're very also concerned that the Truth Commission has handed recommendations. You can act on them if you want to or not. So it really feels like all the efforts put into the Truth Commission might go to waste. And this is essentially what happened in Liberia. Out to this day, Liberian victims have not had any semblance of justice in Liberia. Prosecutions that have occurred have occurred outside of Liberia. That's a case in the Gambia where you have one case in the US, one in Switzerland and one in Germany, the case of Bailo, who's involved in the Data Hydera killing as well. Demba Jao, Data's friend and fellow journalist, also says some Gambians worry because of how Barrow's government responded to a commission that investigated the corruption and financial crimes of the former president. The government made a white paper and, you know, they decided not to implement most of the recommendations of that commission. So it's also sceptical that it, this one will go the same way. But we are also hoping that President Barrow has learned some lessons from the criticisms he received. So this time round, we hope he's going to implement this one to the later. 
Oh, really, justice for Dera definitely would mean a lot to me and to all Gambian journalists. The very fact that he was killed just because of the work he was doing as a journalist, if justice is served in his case, it is definitely justice for Gambian journalism. As sad as it, it is and as depressing that it can be, there's a lot of hope and a lot of um, powerful messages within his work, within his life. Just wish that he spent a bit more time blessing us with some of those powerful writings. I have a favorite, one of his last write-ups actually. For some of us that are willing to use the pen, ready to use it to the last day. Thank you to all who spoke to me for this Killing the Truth, the case of Dada Haidara. And to you for listening. <laughs> And thank you to the King of Kora, Jalaba Kuate, for playing the music he wrote especially for this episode. This is an open democracy production in partnership with A Safer World for the Truth. The sound design is by Lee Sperry, research by Anita Marithi, written and produced by me, Penny Dale. <laughs>